the black snake suddenly appeared in front of me, swimming up the, the river probably a meter away from me. I did everything you aren't supposed to do. We were walking back, end of hard day, carrying lots of kit, distant, unmistakable hum. Hi, I'm Murray. And I'm Kim. And this is the Nature Based Solutions Podcast. I'm Murray Collinson, CEO and co-founder of Space Intelligence. We work with the world's largest corporates like Apple, Equinor, forest conservation projects like Green Gold Forestry, developers like Forest Carbon, representative organisations like Everland, supporting the origination, development and monitoring of nature-based solutions around the world. And I'm Kim McAllister, I'm a broadcaster and journalist and I'm going to translate what Murray says for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Does it still need translation? No, I think you're probably quite good at that now. So this is our first episode of our latest podcast. Yeah. Fifth series we've recorded Is together. it now five? Yep. Blimey. So we've gone all over the world. We're, yes. <laughs> we're starting this one in Brazil. Just back from Brazil. Very, very exciting trip in the, the eastern side of Brazil, having a look at some of the Mata Atlantica forest. Heavily fragmented, but mega diverse forest, which formerly covered the entire coastal strip wow. of Brazil, now fragmented to around about 7% of its uh, former range. 7%? Yeah, so uh, much more fragmented than the, uh, the, than the Amazon or even the, the Cerrado uh, biome. Yeah, enormously diverse system with some very, very cool little monkeys, tamarind monkeys. Have you ever seen those? No. They have, okay, so this is a bit of homework for you. Go away and okay. have a Google uh, search for, or other search engines are available, for uh, emperor lion tamarind monkeys. They have these fantastic little moustaches. Uh, capuchins, <laughs> capuchins are to be found so there. Cute. We had some capuchins in our hotel garden. So nice. I woke up in the morning, I went to go and load up the car, and a coconut almost hit me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a pair of brown caption monkeys who were harvesting the coconuts for themselves in the trees. Fantastic. So, Not throwing them at you. Well, it would have been more dramatic if they were throwing them at me, but they, they were just eating the, um, the coconuts. Wow. So that's fantastic. I love being in a place like that where you have monkeys in your back garden. It's a very, very interesting, very inspiring mm. trip. Love being in the rainforest environment. That's your happy place, isn't That's it? a happy place, yeah. <laughs> it's great to see all the great uh, work which is going on. Brazil, very much a uh, fast-growing economy. Amazing. Yeah. And this is what we're going to talk about this whole podcast? We are. It's a fascinating area. It's increasingly important. More and more countries, uh, more and more companies are getting involved in, the, uh, in sourcing, uh, developing nature-based solutions to, to climate change. And it's really, really exciting. So it goes along side technological solutions to, to climate change things like you may hear people talking about direct air capture for instance and uh crystallization um technologies we're well, you in the, might hear them talking about yeah, that, okay right? this is very so very much in the domain of saying well nature if we change our relationship with it is a great means to be able to store and sequester carbon thinking in terms of climate's perspective but obviously tropical forests are fundamentally important for over a billion people around the world, billion wow. of the world's poorest people dependent on forests for their livelihoods, uh, but also biodiversity, which is the, the twin crisis which we face alongside yeah. climate change. If we conserve and restore the world's tropical forests, then we're simultaneously addressing the biodiversity crisis. Yeah. So it's fundamentally important that we develop and enhance nature-based solutions to climate change that's why we need a podcast series That's on why it, we Kim. need a podcast to explain what nature-based yeah. solutions are, how yeah. it works, what the carbon markets are, how they work, mm. 
and you know just to travel the world virtually with you because you're actually there boots on the ground doing the research and you have done for decades dare I say decades uh, well not quite that you're a young man glowing with, uh, with, with, <laughs> with youth and, and health but yeah um, exactly it is a couple of decades actually that I have spent uh, working had the privilege to go and spend time uh, traveling and working in places like Indonesia Cambodia Sierra Leone Gabon through running into, into South elephants, America, running away from elephants. Into trees. But it's all great <laughs> fieldwork experience, and that's that's what this requires. It requires a very unusual set of skills at the intersection between forest ecology, landscape ecology, remote sensing, so use of satellite technology in cases aircraft remote sensing as well, and then integrating those huge amounts of data in a machine learning framework. So AI being one of the buzz terms of our yeah. age. Yeah. It really does enable us to integrate all these different types of data to produce insights about the way in which the world is changing and to demonstrate the amount of impact which, uh, which projects are having. And the carbon markets are a means to finance these projects because they generate a climate benefit. What is in the news at the moment is uh, how much impact they actually make, these yeah. projects. In order to be able to assess that, you need very high quality data and that's what we do that's what our mission is at this company at space intelligence so you've been in the various rainforests across the world but yeah. so has your senior team yes so i had a chat with carol your chief operating officer yes who has also been in she's the fantastic she deep really expertise in geospatial engineering but has been out boots on the ground as well yeah she was in belize and she met some animals that she didn't really want to come across Yeah, it turns out that they have killer bees in Belize and uh, a few other beasties. So we were staying at a research station in a sort of conservation management area. So a few days in or a couple of weeks in, I can't remember how, how long in, the rangers were telling us, oh, you have to watch out for killer bees. And a few weeks ago, a swarm came into across a cricket field and somebody got attacked. We were fortunate we hadn't seen them, but... Um, we were trekking back, so we had to. We had a few kilometres walk out to our site every day, and then we were walking back. End of hard day, carrying lots of kit. Distant, unmistakable hum of a cloud of bees. So myself and uh, two other people that I was with, we had to just hit the deck, right down on the ground, and just wait for them. So I never saw them because we had to be down, but there was very definite cloud of bees came over us. Um, but thankfully, we were we were all okay. How did Don't you worry. feel when you heard that buzzing? quite terrified <laughs> <laughs> it was very ominous very ominous when they yeah. say killer bees like what do they mean if they sting you the sting will kill you I think they're pretty bad like if you go and google some stories yeah they can be they can really be really ferocious I think so if they attack like really really badly I don't know it's not like they're particularly poisonous I think it's just that they can attack you so badly that you could have some quite severe reactions and potentially I don't know if you get attacked it's a, a given that it's game over or if it's uh, but yeah there's um they're, they're pretty terrifying you don't basically you don't want to get caught in a swarm of, of them and have them attack you I don't think I think it's that kind of thing like they won't necessarily come and attack you but if you get in their way essentially you don't want to be in the middle of a cloud of bees anyway. Well, really not. Really Never not. mind, like, Belize bees yeah, on a mission. That, that's it, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they were going somewhere. So, yeah, so that was a bit scary. But so that was in addition to, there was, they were the worst ones. They also have um, 
they're called peccary, which are wild boars, and they're quite, we saw them in the distance, but they can be quite ferocious as well, same as boars here and stuff, but they can be quite nasty, so they were a bit far away, and yeah, snakes, things like that, so no. things to watch out for. No snakes, no thank you. Yeah. So you're camping in the middle of a rainforest? Well, we were fortunate we weren't camping, so we, overnight, we had, we stayed on this research station, so there was wooden cabanas, so we're pretty safe. So in the morning, you know, do the usual, t- check your boots, make sure nothing's made home. In your and your walking boots. Thankfully, that never happened. Just lots of really interesting stuff. But yeah, a bit a bit creepy because you did have like you would have to watch lots of massive moths and things like that would be attracted. But one time I went into the so the you know it was like a kind of shower block of um, bathrooms. I remember about to step into and saw in the top corner something with a very large stinger, like a hornet. I don't know what again what it was. Like, and you just stepped just, back out again. I just stepped back. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, not the bravest of these, but it was just generally just, just step back. This is this right. is just what you take on when you do field work. Exactly. You know what? This is what makes these places interesting. They have the biodiversity, they have the environment, and that is why they're so rich and so interesting and so important that that is something you take on versus doing your field work in Scotland. You know, <laughs> but, but If you can handle the midges, then yeah, you can graduate true. to the Belize that, that's jungle. True. That, that's true. <laughs> it must be hard to stay calm. Like you've just been told to hit the deck because there's a swarm of killer bees flying over your head. Yeah. Did you just have to do your yoga breathing, or how did you go? Yeah, it was literally. I, I think it was. It was one of those survival. It was such a strange thing. You just had to do it. You know, that's what we'd been told. Just if you hear them, just just do it. So again, yeah, we didn't see them, so you have no idea of like how massive, how big. You know, I had been at the front. The two people uh, I was with, I was a little bit away from the pain, so you're kind of just there a bit by yourself, just listening. Is listening, listening intently to make sure that it's gone, and then yeah, then we and then just had to very carry, carefully lift your head, pretty much check, and check, and then be on your way. Then I remember another time I was walking, but it was near the end of the field work, so I suppose it was only me and uh, one other person left, the third person had gone, and we're walking back along. So part of our walk was sort of along just a bit of a, a stream that led into a lagoon, but it's lots of reeds and stuff. And um, we'd had a path hacked through for us. And yeah, I, again, I was at the front and just sort of, I don't know what kind of snake, but I didn't see enough of it, but just jumped sort of across from kind of one side across to the other. Karen, who I was with, turned out it was absolutely terrified of, of snakes and was just, I just needed about five minutes sort of coaxing her to keep keep moving because it's like the snake's gone. Classic, snakes were afraid of us and <laughs> we were a bit, it's away, it's gone, don't worry, it's not going to. Because of course she thought it was going to sort of come back across. Um, terrified of snakes and doing field work in Belize. I yeah. mean, I'm thinking she didn't really figure this out properly. Yeah, well, you know, this is like you say, this is, this is what you've got to do to go and do the, to go and do the important stuff. So what were do you doing? What was your research? So part so we had a larger research group at Edinburgh and it was looking at uh, the use of radar remote sensing for measuring uh, tree height to use as an indicator of biomass. So this was um, so quite classic of the applications of what, what we do here for creating carbon maps. Uh, the difference of where we were in Belize was in a tropical savanna, so that's quite different. It's not quite your typical rainforesty jungle, so it's got pine, a lot of palm that's quite fragmented as well, so there's lots of difficulty. Plus this was 18 years ago, so it was pre-Professor Ed doing this stuff as well. <laughs> so, so it shouldn't blind, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we were measuring, so we had to gather lots of um, plot data, basically, for measuring trees. We were also doing 
creating a digital terrain model for the area as well to use that. So we were doing a lot of topographic survey. So we had the poles set out where we were measuring height to then be able to make a, um, a ground surface model as well to use that for deriving the, the tree height. So yeah, wow. so great experience for me because um, it's not particularly standard that somebody does on MSc that you get to do that much field work, but it coincided with the PhDs and the research group going out. So it was really good, really interesting. Um, but yeah, great opportunity to measure lots of trees. I'm glad you survived to tell the tale. Yeah, it was the heat and the yeah the beasties and stuff as well. We had a we had a day where we had 50 degrees in the shade, which was quite that's quite crazy, quite intense. And you can't even jump into the lagoons because something might jump out. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of crocodiles and stuff in there, so you don't no, don't jump in them. But we had it marginally better than the group that had gone out the previous year to do fieldwork. So again, the advantage of doing fieldwork when you can have partnerships with uh, organisations and things and you can go and do repeat fieldwork. So there had been a team that had been out the previous year and it was before the rangers had... Uh, cut the path that we were using so they did have to every uh, going out and back have to take a small boat across the, the lagoon and they did fall in once they just capsized once and it turned out that one of the guys couldn't swim so one thing i would say when you go off and field work make sure if you're going into a boat that the people that you travel with can swim i would say that's happened to me as well i I worked in Highland Sumatra in the noughties and that involved paddling across a, uh, a lake in a dugout canoe piloted by one of the, uh, the local folks. And as my Indonesian improved, it emerged that absolutely none of them could swim. You're kidding. Nope, none of them could swim you at all. You can swim though, right? Well, I could, but... You, know, <laughs> you could rescue them, room. should the occasion uh, arise. Well, yeah, I mean, thankfully that, that didn't happen. It was kind of alarming being sort of, you oh know, a kilometre off, the, uh, off the, the shore of a lake and then discovering the, the folk that you're with in, in a uh, hollowed-out trunk cannot swim. Carol got through it. She and did. Her, her colleagues got through it, which yep. is great. Yeah. But that is the experience of working in a tropical environment. We've got this fantastic team who've got technical expertise, but also field work, you know, being out on the ground where these trees, these projects are developing. And that's really important for mm-hmm. the company. To have that on yeah. the ground experience. Yeah. And your co-founder, Ed. Now, am I right in thinking that you met Ed virtually while you were in Gabon? I did. We met online. Did you? <laughs> as all good romances As, as all, all good relationships do these days. <laughs> I was out working for the government of uh, Gabon at the time for the Department of uh, Climate Change uh, and Ed at the time was he was the rising star in Edinburgh doing his uh, his PhD so I was measuring four and a half five thousand trees as a as a forester that was, I was at the end of my um, master's degree I got this job out in Gabon job spec was uh, be able to endure months of field work in tropical rainforest environment and be willing to dodge uh, chimpanzees <laughs> gorillas and elephants and I was like right that's my ultimate job sign me up (laughs) sign me up Um, I'll bring a tent I'll be fine exactly and um, so met Ed whilst he was uh, collating and analysing uh, those data and would you believe that's now 14 years ago wow Um, yeah we developed a great working relationship I came out to work with him at the University of Edinburgh then co-founded Space Intelligence and now here we are over 50 people working in this fantastic company Ed also can swim, I'm pleased to tell you, but he maybe shouldn't I've swim I've never tested in. that. Well, let me tell you a story about Ed and his swimming. I was only one month into my PhD when I, I went there, so I wasn't terribly experienced. Um, so I did a comprehensive medical course before I left, and I was just happened to be one of the more trained medical people uh, there as it happened. Um, we were all taking anti-malarials, it's a high malarial area 
we had some Cameroonian PhD students with us who didn't want to take the drugs that we brought from the West. Fair enough, they live with malaria all their lives, you can't take these drugs forever. Anyway, one of them got malaria quite badly towards the end of the trip, um, and I, with some local people, evacuated him from the site by dugout canoe, which is really? yeah, one of the scarier things I've done in my life. So it's, um, it was about, well, it was a day, night, and another day's travel by dugout canoe to get out of the site, back to a road and medical facilities. So it's giving him a drip on the travel and this kind of thing, and lost consciousness during it. Anyway, I'd been to other tropical uh, areas. I had some idea, but I'd never lived quite like we were in that Cameroon field trip. So we were very remote, as I said, by dugout canoe, six weeks on our own in the, the middle of the rainforest, um, sleeping in tents with a lot of, uh, lot of insects, as you can imagine, and uh, very little variety of food. And our food started going mouldy at some point, so we had quite limited food. So I was very excited, actually, to be part of this evacuation <laughs> a bit early, because I was going to get out and get some uh, proper food. <laughs> Um, anyway, the person I was evacuating was absolutely fine. Um, in the end, we got him to hospital. He was all right. And I went back to the kind of camp at the top of the forest. It was just me. I was the only person from the UK there, along with some local people. I have been traveling for a long time. It had been a pretty stressful few days. And so I walked the 20 minutes or so, walked down to the river to have a swim and have a as you do. bath as you do. And so I was swimming in the river, and it was not something sensible to do. No one knew where I was. Uh, it wasn't far from a road or anything, but I was just swimming in the river probably about 30, 40 metres wide, I was about 20 metres from the bank, and a black snake suddenly appeared in front of me, swimming up the, the river probably a metre away from me. I did everything you aren't supposed to do. I <laughs> jumped up and went, ah, and splashed out of the river as fast as I could. <laughs> and the snake just swam on by quite happily. <laughs> I don't think my heart has ever beat as fast as that. I mean, in general, snakes don't annoy you unless you annoy them. So yes, if I just calmly swam off it, would almost certainly have been fine. I mean, the, I've read lots of stories about people. And I've seen a lot of snakes in tropical forests. It's normally when you stand on them, or um, often the accidents you read is about uh, local communities trying to cut off the heads of snakes and kill them. And actually, that when you start combating like that, that's very dangerous. Whereas, yeah, if you leave them alone, they'll normally leave you alone. They know that you're not what they're trying to eat. Still, though, you're in a river trying to cool off, probably a bit traumatized from saving a man's life. <laughs> You see snakes from past you. No wonder you screamed. And then did you think, I probably should tell people where I am? <laughs> um, I did go back to the centre where there are other people, and I don't think I'm too, well, I think I learned from the experience. Yes. <laughs> and you've done so much other work since. I mean, what have you learned from that first trip? Is there anything you're like, right, must remember that for next time? Yeah, lots of things. I think I've done fieldwork in 13 tropical countries, including leading expeditions. And I guess I'm more senior now. My role is normally helping setting up the field trips rather than spending lots of time in tropical forests. If I do travel, I often do the, the annoying, boring bit of queuing in dusty offices and talking to officials and that kind of thing rather than the fun bit in the forest. But yes, we definitely have very strict protocols about not being alone. It's a very important thing in any fieldwork, including in the UK. You should do things together, even working in an office, ideally. It's loan working policies to stop people working on their own if something happens, no one would know. Um, yes, medical facilities and medical training and having uh, suitable drugs and things with you is really important. And having a plan to, to get people out is really important if something does happen. Wow, so that really was a baptism of fire, that first trip. Yes, I definitely, I definitely learned a lot from the real experience. And well, I've told you this story before, Kim, uh, which is how you, reason you asked me to do this. But I've told a lot of people that story in a this is why you shouldn't be alone uh, context. So yes, other people learn from this type of thing. Brilliant. Well, I'm very glad you survived to tell the tale. <laughs> well, me too, Kim. <laughs> It's somewhat alarming when you think 
<laughs> we, could have all gone so differently. Yeah, everything could have gone so differently. Um, all those research papers and all that funding, which would never have been raised, and a company which would never would have been co-founded. Well, I'm glad um, that uh, snake just swam on. Yeah, well done, snake. Right decision. <laughs> uh, good, good for Ed. Not not panicking and flailing about in a river. But it is amazing the risks that you put yourself. Good. Another lesson. So uh, number one from Carol. Don't don't go sailing and swimming with people who can't swim. Yep. Uh, number two, if you are going swimming, make sure it's not on your own, uh, surrounded by deadly snakes. Correct. I think we're all learning something here today. I think today. we are, yeah. I think I'm learning that I have no business going to a rainforest ever. <laughs> <laughs> don't think it's my happy we, place. We, we'll get you on a luxury tour to Costa Rica or something. That, like that, that sounds like more my back. <laughs> yeah, let's do Machu Picchu. Can we make that? Can we find an ecological reason for me to go to Peru, maybe? Well, yes. Very, very important nation in terms of forest conservation. We support a project out there. So, mm. um, so yeah, I think... We'll figure that out. I think we need to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I need to be on that one. I think so. Well, I think we've made the case for what's at stake here. Yes. I think it's very clear that not only do we need to sequester carbon, but we also need to protect biodiversity. And that's why nature-based solutions are so important. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's some really, really crucial stuff here. The big picture is we're, you know, we're, we're not on track to meet the targets set out in the Paris agreements we're really distracting ourselves by thinking we can develop technology which is going to sort this out immediately we have to conserve the world's forest not just for climate but for all the other reasons which we've described in terms of there being a billion people around the world who depend upon them but also the biodiversity component uh, so we have to do all of these things uh, and we need to accelerate so Hopefully, as more and more people listen to this podcast, they'll feel enthused and enabled and empowered to be able to get engaged in this space. Yeah. And you're off to New York? Yeah. So, yeah, just bounce back from Brazil, then straight off to New York. But uh, an enormous amount of weight and energy coming together for the New York Climate Week. Large number of corporates, uh, financial services organizations interested in the development of nature-based solutions. So uh, I'm hopeful as ever optimistic that this will be a very worthwhile trip yeah and we'll catch you while you're there we'll chat to you online okay do you want to do a dial in from new york i would love to i mean you're not going to take me there are you so i'll just need to sit in edinburgh and talk to you never (laughs) asked well you and ed are going to be there along with alexis the good idea to do a live dial in can we not do it too early morning uk time because then i'll be up at like 4 a.m or something you'll be a busy guy while you're over there so yes okay let's get that set up that sounds great come in live from new york and tell us what's going on okay Um, and we've got lots of exciting things planned for the podcast so hopefully we will make the case for nature-based solutions let's do it okay super excited by this guess we should say thanks for listening Subscribe now to the Nature Based Solutions podcast on all major podcast players out every Wednesday for a 10 part series finishing just before COP28. And if you do enjoy our chat, then check out some of the other podcasts that we've recorded Edinburgh Space Data Capital, Scotland's Secret Space Race, Great British Liftoff, and Inspired by Space. Thank you.